million dollars. And uh, I heard some really good answers there. Um, for those of you who don't know, we've been talking for the last three weeks about this thing called, uh, this series called Money Matters. And um, it's this idea that uh, it's kind of like, it, it kind of reminded me as we were coming into this that it remind, it, it's a bit like the Faith Actually series. It's just kind of a continuation of that thought. I mean, all these things, we talk about them because they matter, because there's something about, something about what we do as Christians that makes a difference. There's something about the way that we follow that, that does matter. And um, the first week we talked about the, the wisdom literature of uh, King Solomon, this idea of, of how to be wealthy and wise, you know, how to find um, uh, wisdom and wealth, and uh, a wealth of wisdom, as it were. And uh, so we spent some time in that. Last week we talked about the tithe, and literally just like that, giving a tenth of our stuff away to not let it have a hold over us, but to um, maybe claim some authority. Yeah, the children can go to children's uh, worship. They're kind of trying to break out. <clears throat> so, so that was last week, this kind of idea that to, by letting go of some of our stuff, we can have more. We can, we can know more. We can realize more about what we've been given instead of always saying how broke we are. Um, we can realize the abundance that God has given us. And, uh, and in this week, I, I thought, you know, Let's come back around then to Jesus and what Jesus had to say about money because we talk about all the things Jesus had to say about money. We, we tell each other that. Jesus had a lot to say about money. Um, but then we don't ever talk about those things necessarily. And so I want to spend a little time with that. But one of the things that was funny, we remember we heard in the Proverbs, it said, in Proverbs 20, 11, it said this. It said, even a child is known by his actions, by whether his conduct is pure and right. And, and uh, King Solomon was making this point to say that everyone is known by what they do. And I think there's this disconnect that goes on in our lives where we think, well, we can believe one thing, but we can do something else, right? And th this, is, this is what we call hypocrisy, <laughs> you know? And uh, it's the number one reason that most teenagers give for not wanting to be part of any religious organization, because it's a bunch of hypocrites. <laughs> That's what we always hear from them, right? Um, but I just think it's funny how this, there's this disconnect that goes on. We can say we believe one thing and we can do something else and it's all fine. I remember this one story I wanted to tell you real quickly. I was, I was visiting with this lady at her house and um, this wasn't a kind of a church visit. It wasn't kind of one of those, you know, has extra baggage, right? This was just like a friend, hey, I'm going to come over and hang out for a little bit. And her, her son was just like, a, 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 you know, kids get wound up when visitors come over, right? My kids do it too. So if you come to my house, they're like, like lunatics. I'm not sure what happens. It just happens, right? And, and they were like kind of, the kid was like swinging from the doors and like slamming things and knocking stuff over and screaming at the top of his lungs. And what struck me was this. He, he kept saying something. I can't remember what it was now. But he kept, I think he was saying shut up or some word that had been forbidden in the household, obviously. And uh, the mom kept saying, now, Jeffrey, we don't talk like that. And he would just run around and scream for Now, Jeffrey, we don't talk like that. And, and after like the fifth time she said it, I kind of thought, well, somebody does, <laughs> you know, because the truth of the matter is Jeffrey's learning that somewhere. There's something that he is seeing or hearing or experiencing that, uh, that has taught him this behavior. And it was just such a funny disconnect to have this parent saying, we don't do that, but obviously we do because we're doing it, you know. And uh, I just thought it was quite a funny thing to hear. Proverbs kind of gets to the heart of that by saying, even a child is known by what he does, by his conduct, whether it's pure and right. James tells us something about this. James says, faith without works is dead. And you see, the book of James almost didn't make it in the canon. Do you know that? They didn't want it in the canon because it was, they thought, this thing is, this book is out there because it says you have to actually live out your faith for it to be a genuine faith. 
It can't be a faith of intellectual assent. And, and part of what we're doing today, as awkward as it is, I'm going to walk today. Someone said I shouldn't pace. I'm just going to pace this way because we have these tables. Um, but so, so, and by the way, someone said last time we did this, November, someone said, this was weird because I had to look at all the other people. Isn't that cool? <laughs> Can you imagine the fact that we are all here today worshiping Jesus Christ? Look at how as I move around, people start to look around the room. What a great witness to what Christ is doing in our lives. James said this, faith without works is dead. Um, and he says, show me your faith by what you say, and I will show you my faith by what I do. It's not always easy. It's not always comfortable, right, to go out in the community and walk around with those red squeegees, <laughs> you know, and look weird. We talked about that. But there's something about that what we do matters. It's somehow a manifestation of what we believe. So the question that I have for you today, as we gather this morning, is this. What gospel are you preaching in your life? Okay? What gospel are you preaching in your life? Now you might say, well, there's only one gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I agree, there's one big G gospel. The, the text, actually, the word for gospel is euangelion. It's the word we get evangelical from or evangelism from. The, the, the evangelism word, right? That's that word. Let's, don't talk about that. That's what good news is. You see, and the word breaks down like this, and I want to read this to you. Gospel equals eugeldizo uh, is always what it says here. Um, but listen, it says, it's part of, it's a two-part word. The first is this, good, well-off, and proper. There's something that's good, something inherently great about it. And the second is this, it's angelos. And you all know what the word angelos is, right? What is it? Los Angelos. You ever heard of this place? Los Angeles. What is it? The city of angels. That's right. That's right. The angels. So it actually means the good word brought by a messenger of God. It's something that is good, right, just, that's brought by a person. This is what the gospel is. And so the question is not what is the gospel of Jesus Christ, because see, we know that intellectually, but what is the gospel that you preach in your life? Because they might be the same thing. And that's, I think, where the disconnect happens with us sometimes. They're not always the same thing. So there's this clever way to figure out what gospel you preach. Everyone is preaching a gospel. Anyone who is worth following, anyway, is preaching a gospel. And the question is, how to determine what gospel they are preaching? And I can, our, our common sense kind of instructs us in this matter. But if you want to know what gospel someone preaches, just follow them around for a while, right? Like it's the fly on the wall thing. You ever heard that? I wish I could be a fly on the wall in that room. Why? Because we wouldn't know what they really believe. We talked about this in family groups this morning, about it's what we do in the dark, hidden places of our lives that really, really matters. Because we can go out and be whitewashed tombs and look a certain way. By the way, if you're not involved in a family group, Chris and I were talking, we were getting ready for worship this morning, and she said, you know, that's really where it's at. That's really where the deep growth happens. It's fun to have conversations in, on a Sunday morning like this, but the truth of the matter is that when you get together with a few people who can actually get into your life, it starts to get more uncomfortable. They start to see things that are disconnecting in your life. The gospel you claim is not the gospel you live. And that's part of what we're doing in family groups, trying to live the gospel of Jesus Christ together. And so if you're not involved, uh, I would invite you to get involved in a family group. It's amazing, amazing stuff. But there's this idea that somehow... 
if you follow people around, if you're there in that dark, quiet place, you will really see what they believe. There's another way we can look at this, and it's this. It's actually, if you, if you didn't get a, a uh, handout today, you should have gotten one on the way in. I hope you got one. Uh, we need you to fill out for us. But, but look at the, uh, what's in there. What is that? Do you see that? It kind of looks like ours, except there's not as much scribbling. Um, yeah, it's a check registry. And th- there's something that can be said. You know, we were talking, actually, at FPU last week, and, and Dave Ramsey, he did that before. He made everyone shout, show me the money, you know, uh, about doing our budgets. But wh- what's funny is he said, uh, Larry Bruquette says, you can tell where people's hearts are by where they put their money. So we could say, show us the money. Follow the money trail, and it will betray our heart. And you go, man, I don't know. You know, what I do with my money is none of God's business, you know. That's my business. That's just, you know. But there's something that disconnects with that. And so if you could follow them around, and if you could hang out with them, and you could see how they spend their money, right, then you would know what gospel they preach. What do they say is the most important thing? What bills get paid first? What's the priority in my life? See, we think about that following others around, but the question is, what do we do? What would it mean to us if our check registry betrayed our heart? If it revealed the truth that all of our pious words, all of our holy rantings equated to nothing because there was no life in it. We weren't living the gospel of Jesus Christ. I reminded um, about these, these commercials. I, I, I meant to ask Matt when he get this commercial in, have you seen this Chase commercial? where the guy's sitting in the living room and he's looking at his little, like, 32-inch CRT. <laughs> like, 32-inch TV's not big enough anymore, you know. And his wife walks in and she goes, you're right, go get something, you know. And he gets his Chase card and he runs to the store and he starts looking at the little TVs and he's going down. You know how they do that. They got the bigger ones and the bigger ones. And then you get down to the end and all of a sudden they take him into the special room that they have a leather couch set up in and the end tables and the lamps and the one big one that's on the wall. And he's sitting there next to the sales guy and he's going, oh yeah, you know. And then he pulls out his phone to check his credit card balance to see if he can afford this thing. That's what it says, instant access to money. And then he looks at the sales guy and he goes, and all of a sudden they pull back and it's his wife sitting next to him on the couch and they're sitting there looking at this huge TV and it says, Chase, what matters most? And you know, we just eat that stuff up, don't we? We just suck it in. Yeah! Me and my wife on the couch in front of a monster TV, man. That's what really matters in life. Knowing my credit limit at any given time. Chase what matters most. I always wonder when you see a celebrity doing a commercial, do they eat what they sell? Do they? You ever see those outtakes where they're chewing that stuff? And they go, Bleh. Take three. Mm, that's good. You should eat it. So I get paid. There's a disconnect that's going on. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles. If you don't have Bibles with you, there are some Bibles on your tables today. Turn with me to 1 Timothy 6, 17. 
through 19. This is Paul actually writing. We're going to go, we're going to start with Paul and kind of work our way back. First Timothy on your, on your uh, Bibles, the little, uh, 824 is the page number there, so you can find it quickly. First Timothy 617. This is what Paul says to Timothy, right? He's instructing this young leader of God. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in their wealth, which is so uncertain. But put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, right? And to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Isn't that funny how he says that? And the words here, again, in the Greek, it mimics itself. The idea of those who are rich in this common world, it's, it's wealth, says that they might have wealth in the kingdom. Look in verse 19. In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, the coming age so that they might take hold of life that is truly life. Now I'm going to have you turn right away in your Bibles to, uh, to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, because Paul doesn't get this idea out of his head. He gets this idea from Jesus. There's this thing that comes with money that we have responsibility over it. There's this thing called stewardship, which is a churchy word, which means that you are the keeper of God's pig pen. That's what that means, actually. Okay? You slop the hogs for him. They're not your hogs. It's not your pen. Okay? You're just taking care of it. And this idea of treasure... being stored up for us by the way we handle what God has given us now. He's talking about context on Luke chapter 12. Jesus has just had a dinner with the Pharisees. Now, see, you've got to love this, right? Because Jesus is hanging out with Pharisees at their house. They invite him. Hey, come have a meal. And he's there. And it's, I won't read through it, but it's great. It's called the six woes. Because <laughs> Jesus goes, you know, whoa. No, he says, he says, woe to you, Pharisees. You know, he's, he's like, oh, no, 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 no. No, you've got this wrong. And so right after that, he comes here with warnings and encouragements. Now I just want to read here together, and we'll kind of walk through this quickly. It says, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands, so in that same time that Jesus is eating with Pharisees, right in that same kind of period of his life, in that time, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on each other, Jesus began to speak first to the disciples, okay? So he's got people following him. There's such large crowds, such large crowds that they're actually mashing each other, Right? It's like a rock concert kind of a thing. Thousands of people stepping on each other to get closer to Jesus. He turns and starts to teach his disciples. I want to point out something else. I said this last week. I'm going to say this a couple times, and I'll probably let it go for a while. This page is intentionally left blank. This page is your invitation to engage with God today. That's what we're most passionate about, that you would hook up with God, the God who speaks. And so I would encourage you to do that. If it means doodling, if it means writing notes, if it means asking questions, if it means saying, I don't agree with that at all, write it on there. Engage with the living God today. This is what it says. They were trampling each other, and Jesus began to speak. He says, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. We've talked about this before, but the word hypocrisy literally means an actor. It means someone who is taking someone else's words as their own. They're trying to sell a bag of goods, you see. They're going to they're gonna act, act a certain way, but not necessarily be that way in their heart. 
Be on your guard against the yeast, those things that rise up of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Because there, this is such a powerful word today, and I've been, it's been, you know, having its way with me all week. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, Jesus said, or nothing hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear of the inner rooms will be shouted from the roofs. See, now that should be a scary proposition because we have this disconnect. Well, this is my private life. This isn't about Jesus or my faith or what I believe or the gospel, the good news brought by messengers of God. This is my private stuff. And Jesus says here, don't be an actor. Don't pretend. Be where you are. And he says, because nothing that is concealed will not be disclosed. And nothing that's hidden will not be made known. And those little things that you think, man, I mean, I just, you know, I hope you're there with me this morning. If you think about that thing in your life, and you go, oh, no, if people find out, man, I'd be crushed. If people knew how I really lived, man, I'd be so scary. Right? If people knew who I really was, I couldn't deal with it. I'd be unlovable. And this is Jesus, the teller of all truth. And he's saying, yeah, but see, everything we made known, all those little secrets will be shouted from rooftops. And if you're afraid of that thought, let's follow his thought because you're right on the target there. If it doesn't terrify you, he says, I tell you, my friends, in verse 4, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but afterwards can do no more. That means don't be afraid of those who are around you because that's our biggest fear, right? Man, if people knew, oh, if people knew, what would they say? Because he says, you are standing before a holy God. Listen to what he says, but I will show you to whom you should fear. You should fear him who, after killing the body, has the power to throw you into hell. Yeah, I'll tell you, fear him. <laughs> How's that for some perspective? What? You mean I don't have to worry about what people, if people see my finances? I don't have to worry about people see my private life because I have to be afraid because I have to be in fear of God? The one who can ultimately judge our souls. And then Jesus says this, and it's so funny to read it again in this context. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? These, these things are like almost worthless, right? He says, yet not one of them is forgotten by God. And indeed, the very hairs on your head are numbered. So don't be afraid because you are more worth than many sparrows. I don't feel very good about that passage right now. Because I've always read it and thought, yeah, I'm worth more than sparrows. God cares about me. But you know what? In the context, Jesus is saying, man, God knows more about you than you know about yourself, right? I believe part of the work of the Holy Spirit is that God will reveal to us the truth of where we are. That we would become to a place of responsibility and maturity. That we could admit our own flaws. That we could trust God in those places of our lives. He says, not one of them is forgotten. 
you are worth more than many sparrows. And all of a sudden, I feel myself going, oh, man, a righteous God. And then Jesus says, I tell you what, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will be acknowledging him before the angels of God, right? But whoever disowns me before men will be disowned before God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, right? But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And that is a whole other thing that we're going to kind of roll over today a little bit. And I'm going to ask for your grace in that. But there is this idea, and I do want to say that one of the things that always strikes me is not to be one who, who quenches the Holy Spirit. I think we do that so easily. We don't even mean to do it sometimes, you know. But someone comes up, and they're so excited. Their, their life has changed or transformed. And we just kind of go, yep. Wow. How, how that takes the wind out of your sails. Edifying each other as you follow Jesus. Seeing that for what it is, a revelation from God to that person, transforming their lives and celebrating with them and being in joy with them and saying, yes, that is awesome. God is good. Even if you don't necessarily feel that way, to go to trust that God is working among us, to risk that God might be leading all of us and not just those who need it. So at this point in this, this, little, this little speech that Jesus has given to the disciples, now you've got to see this again. I want you to see the picture. Thousands of people are crushing in, smashing each other. He turns and he says to these guys who've been following him for a while, hey, be careful. The yeast of the Pharisees, don't be actors. Be real, right? And he says, you are worth more than sparrows. And then in that moment, check out what this guy says from the crowd. Someone in the crowd says to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. You know, like, it's the ultimate, like, not getting it, this guy. Like, Jesus is talking about these profound things about being before a holy God, and he goes, hey, yeah, and tell him to share his stuff. And Jesus says this, man, who appointed me judge or arbiter between you? But then he said, and this is classic Jesus stuff, where he just comes and he says, but watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. You see, a man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. So he says, look out, man. Don't be greedy. You know? Life is more than what you possess. And he tells him a parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. So this guy has a problem, right? God has given him a lot, okay? And he says, uh, then he said, hmm, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger barns. And there I will store up all my grain and all my goods. Look at the words. All my grain, all my goods in my great big barn. And I'll have to, and I'll say to myself, self, you have plenty of good things laid up for years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and have a party. This is his solution to the problem of God giving him too much. And God says to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Jesus says, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. You see, that's what you call a hard teaching. Because uh, I have pretty big barns for my stuff. What would have been the right response? 
It seems as though this guy actually thinks that the crops that are coming out of the ground is something that he did through his genius. It seems as though he's taken too much credit for what God has placed in his care. And don't we do that? Don't we do that? Man, I work hard for my money. I can't help it I got so much. I work harder than you do. And we miss the point of being rich toward God. We're going to roll right through. I'm missing a bunch of stuff here. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. You see, he turns back to the disciples after he teaches, and he says, Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, or your body, what you'll wear. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap, yet they st- and they have no storeroom or barn. Huh. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? We already told us, right? You who are by worrying cannot add a single year, a single hour to his life. Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon, right, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them, right? But seek his kingdom, and all these things will be added to you as well. There's this idea that we miss the point. And this is, this, this is hard because he's talking to disciples who are already following him, who are already tracking with Jesus. They're already selling out. They're already being weird. They're already doing these things. And Jesus says, don't miss the point. Don't miss the point. Seek first the kingdom of God. Your Father knows what you need. See, I struggle with this because sometimes um, if we are honest with ourselves, we realize that God has given us so much. Uh, that, that it can be a burden. Uh, this is why it's so hard, because if you look around, we have so much, and yet we tell ourselves, it's not enough yet. You need bigger stuff. It's the hardest thing to deal with. And I, I'm reminded of my friend Ricardo in uh, Ricardo is not my brother-in-law, Richard. Someone asked me at one time. I was talking about Ricardo. Ricardo's in Costa Rica. Ricardo lives in a very, very poor country. But there's this huge dichotomy. There's a huge split between those who have a lot, a lot of stuff and those who don't. And I was spending time with Ricardo. I thought, how do you do this? How do you live? Because he lives pretty well in Costa Rica. And he'd been praying about that. And he said, I didn't know why God had blessed me so much. I didn't understand why God had given me all that he had given me. And so he began to pray and say, God, why did you give me this? And man, that's a great place to start. If you find yourself living in abundance, we should be turning to the king and saying, King, why? What is this for? Because it's so easy to deceive ourselves into thinking it's for us. It's so easy 
to convince ourselves, to justify. Well, it's only a portion. It's for us. And Ricardo came to realize it was for others. And that's how I got to know Ricardo, because when I went down to Costa Rica, he let me live in his house while I was there. And he started to give his house to missionaries. <laughs> started to open his place up. And he isn't, he isn't the kind of host that like, just kind of says, well, here's the key, good luck. He's the kind of guy that just blesses you the whole time you're there. Everything that's yours is his. And he says, God revealed to me while you were here why he's given me so much. He's given me so much that I might give it to others. I pray you're struggling today with that. Why has God given us so much? Just pray about that. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. I, I, I remember one time I was, I, if you ever get pent up, I talk about this, 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 all this stuff we waste so much time on around our lives. If, if I can say, you know, something today, let's look at the kingdom of God. Let's consider what we're storing up in the kingdom places. Those treasures we're putting on the other side, and I don't mean the other side of life and death. I mean the place where Jesus is revealing himself in this life. We're going to get to this, but let's store up some treasures there. Let's make an investment in the kingdom of God. Let's put our money where our mouth is, okay? And let's live that kind of a life, investing in God's kingdom. I was driving one time, and I was so pent up about something I really wanted, and I've been praying about it, you know, and I, I always talk about being honest in prayer. Be honest in your prayers and tell God you want it so bad. Oh, God, I want it so bad. I want it so bad. But whatever you want, that's what I want. And you know what's scary is God will start to answer your prayers, and God will start to speak into your heart, and you'll hear these weird things like this. What are you doing? I know what you need. Seek first my kingdom, Bill. Seek first my kingdom. Don't build places for yourself. And you know, the minute you do that, man, God goes like here. <laughs> and I'm not saying that's why you do it, though, because your heart has to be right. The minute you turn and you say, okay, Lord, I will focus first in your kingdom. It's a sure return. Look in verse 32 with me. Do not be afraid, little flock, Jesus says. I love how he says little flock there, by the way. <laughs> do not be afraid. Because your father has been pleased what? To give you the kingdom. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. There's that thing that happens with this weird thing where we think the kingdom of God is going to be off in the sky by and by flying around, right? And even so, I love this old analogy someone says about someone storing up gold on earth themselves, and they get to heaven with all their bags of gold, and someone says, why'd you bring paving? <laughs> you know, but that's even disconnected because the truth of the matter is, the kingdom of God has been given to us. Jesus says the kingdom is coming, is coming. It's begun. The work of the kingdom of God began with Jesus Christ. And the investment in the kingdom is a sure return. Look at verse 33. Sell your possessions. Woo, oh, look out. This is hard. And give to the poor. Let's not apologize for that verse. Sell what you have and give it to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves, this is Jesus speaking, that will never wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. You see, because if you invest in kingdom things, no thief can come near and steal, no moth can destroy. And this is the word of Jesus, our risen Christ, who says, because wherever your treasure is, that is where your heart will be. 
And you see, we like to do that backwards, don't we? I gave my heart to Jesus. Really? Yes. I'm not making fun of that. We gave our hearts to Christ. But Jesus says there's something about our heart following our wealth. In that order, I was talking to someone and they said, you know what the problem with churches is? They're always fighting. They're always fighting. Churches, especially older churches, are always fighting. You know what I've realized about all that fighting that goes on? You know what's happened? These folks have poured their lives into the kingdom work. These folks, I remember someone telling me about a story about people had to pledge money up front to start a church. Up front, thousands and thousands of dollars, back when thousands and thousands of dollars actually meant something. You see, they had invested in the kingdom of God, and then all of a sudden, their heart is in the money, and you go, what's your problem, man? Settle down. This isn't your stuff. This is church stuff. No, you see, because their heart is following their investment. The kingdom work is leading their passion. Now, I will say it is misguided sometimes how we get hung up on it. But you know, all of a sudden, it matters a lot, doesn't it? We don't care how some stock is doing until we own the stock. You go, boy, the stock market's down today. Boy, the stock market's up today. If your retirement's in the stock market, you're like, oh, no. <laughs> you know? Your heart is led by your treasure. We're going to close with this. Another time Jesus spoke about treasure, I want you to turn to Matthew, Matthew 13. By the way, I was going to preach from Matthew today, and I found Luke 12, man, and, uh, and it, was a, it was a God thing. It was a God thing. Matthew 13, 44 is where we're going, right? Let's kind of wrap this up a little bit. Jesus says this. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then his joy went and sold everything he had to buy the field. I'm going to read on through this. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. The kingdom of heaven is like that. It's like a treasure hidden in a field. You know, a part of my plan today, I was going to come around here and find someone's chair to buy off of them. There's something that happens when you find value in something that no one else sees it. No one else gets it. And everyone's going to say, that's a dumb thing to do. You know, if, you, if this chair was the chair, and I paid $50,000 for this chair, you would think, you're out of your head. But if I knew that this chair contained a million dollars, see, now it's a wise investment. You ask, well, what? You know, this whole following Jesus thing, what's the big deal? When you find that value, man, it changes everything. And you start to purchase this place. You start to try to invest in this kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Get this. It's the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, I always wondered when Jesus came to earth, 
and hung out with tax collectors and sinners, what was he thinking? What was Jesus thinking whenever he paid the price for us? And I'll tell you what he was thinking. He had come and was walking across the field. And he saw something with such value that he needed to buy the whole field. But I'll tell you what the field was that Jesus bought. It wasn't a field that was the kingdom of heaven. The field Jesus bought was sin. You see, because we were the buried treasure. We were the ones that were laying in the dirt and in the muck and buried up to our heads with no chance, no chance to get out. And when Jesus is walking through the field and he sees us buried, stuck, no hope, Jesus runs off with great joy and he buys the whole field and everything in it. Treasures of the heart. He sees the value in us. And this is not something that's easy to understand. But when Jesus saw it, he sacrificed. We're going to do something today that we've done for 2,000 years. And I'm going to ask, actually, right now, if, we have, if you have a, a juice in front of you, I mean, at your table, I need one person from each table to get up and go to the back. And there's some rolls back there that are by the bread. But I want you to look at the spread that's out here today for us. So one person at each table, go back and, and grab one roll and bring it back. Because we're going to do something called communion today. But I don't want you to miss what communion is about. Communion is about this time that Jesus saw what was buried. Look at all the people moving. That's good. There's only 24 back there, so you guys got a lot of people up for 24. You see, today is beautiful because communion is our response. But I want to talk a little bit about communion and about what that looks like because when Jesus was gathered around at the table with his disciples at the Last Supper, we call it the Last Supper, you know, he said, every time you do this, remember me. And I think sometimes we make this into this kind of like holy ritual, this thing that's sacred, this thing, and it is sacred. But there's something that Jesus said, every time you break bread, every time you share a cup, Every time you sit and recline and laugh and hang out, remember me. Jesus bought the whole field of our sin. He bought everything that we are buried in, everything that we hold on to, everything that we claim is ours. This is my field. I belong to it. And Jesus says, no, no, no. This field is bought and paid for by me. And I pray today that you know that that you know that Jesus paid the price. I was talking to Chris about this gospel that we believe, this gospel that we chase after. And you know what the trouble is? It's not very difficult to understand. We can't stand before a holy God. There's no hope. There's no chance. We don't believe for a minute that if we do the right things, we get the pass. We remember that we were the ones that had no hope. So, today, as we break bread like Jesus did, we're going to remember the hope we find in him and him alone. 
And we're going to remember the price that he paid. It wasn't millions of dollars. It was everything. It was everything. Jesus gave up communion with his father. Gave up part of who he was. Gave up everything. I, I can't even imagine what that was. What that looked like. What that was like to be on the cross on our behalf. But that's where he placed himself. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread, ordinary bread, and he broke it, and he gave it to every one of his disciples, and he said, take and eat of this, every one of you. This is my body, which is broken for you. And in the same way, he took the cup, and he gave thanks and praise to God the Father, and he said, this cup is a cup of my blood, the blood of the new covenant, the new promise that is offered for you. And then he said, every time you break bread and share in this cup, remember what I've done for you. Let's pray together today. Father God, we find ourselves falling short. We find ourselves not knowing the depth of our sinfulness, not knowing how hopelessly lost we were and we are without you. And we pray today, Lord, that if, if we don't yet trust in you as our Savior, if we don't yet trust in you to draw us up out of our sinfulness, Lord, that today we would take that step and we would trust you. Let this communion be our response. Let this breaking of bread be a remembrance of you. Let this sharing in a cup be remembering the promises that you've made And may we live as those who have known your touch. May we continue each day, Lord, to walk and just hold your hand and trust that you are leading us where we are going, wherever it is, Lord. We want to follow you. We pray these things in that name that is above all names. In Jesus, we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.